I just, I've never tried this before. I don't know how it will sound, but I just want to do a little sound effect for our listeners. So that's what the newsroom at the Montague Reporter sounds like, of course. (laughs) We have one very large typewriter. Welcome to the Montague Reporter Podcast. I am Sarah Brownianson, the host and producer. I'm here with Mike Jackson, the managing editor of the Montague Reporter newspaper. Hi, Sarah. Hi. So jumping into the news this week, let's start with Irving, because that's a pretty big story this week. They had a special town meeting and approved almost $18 million for the town to borrow for drying Irving Paper Mill's uh, sludge, type 2 sludge. And apparently they don't really need that much. It might just be um, in the around $5 million. But can you tell us about that story? Sure. Well... As the editor, uh, pretty much everything that I know about this is is just from Katie Nolan's reporting on it. Yeah, we gotta get Katie on the podcast. So we Katie, should... if you're listening, <laughs> email me. We should definitely get her on the podcast. She's been covering the Irving Select Board for a long time, years and years now, and uh, that Select Board meets every week. So she's really put putting in the time for wow. our community. Um, they also. That select board, out of all the select boards in our coverage towns, um, seems to have the longest meetings for whatever reason. So, uh, poor Katie. Um, And she also covered this special town meeting that they had last Saturday. And the big ticket was, yeah, this uh, sludge drying system at one of their wastewater plants. And that sounds very, uh, you know, it's the kind of thing that you can look at and be like, that is very boring news. Why did you put it um, in such large uh, font headline and above the above the fold? But it's a lot of money, A. And um, B, it's a, it's a really unusual arrangement in Irving because, mm-hmm. you know, it's a town. Irving's got kind of... Uh, most of the people live in either, you know, the West End... Um, quote-unquote Irving side um, used to be part of Miller's Falls mm-hmm. or the East End um, which is called Irving Center mm-hmm. um, some are up in Farley but um, the residents in Irving Center they've got a sewer and a wastewater plant down there that is mostly actually the wastewater plant that processes waste from Irving paper Irving Industries and this is the last paper mill in our coverage area since the closure of Southworth three years ago in Turner's Falls. Mm-hmm. And there's a bunch of people working there. Um, when the gas pipeline, uh, when Kinder Morgan um, several years ago was trying to site a natural gas pipeline through the region, uh, Morris Housen, who's the president of Irving Paper, uh, it's a family family business, um, he said that if, if that natural gas pipeline, transmission pipeline, weren't built, Irving Paper might need to close, and uh, that hasn't happened yet. That pipeline is no longer going to be built, um, and they are staying open. Um, but now uh, they're saying that if they can't find a way to affordably uh, dispose of their sludge, they will have to close. It's a it's a funny arrangement because this this wastewater plant is owned by the town but operated by the company and. There's a really complex arrangement that that governs it. 
-hmm. And then the third reason for putting it so prominently in the paper is that uh, the, the sludge stuff itself is actually kind of one of the bigger um, sleeper stories that over the you know a long range we're looking at in our region because we are slowly going into a wastewater treatment crisis and it comes up in different towns in different forms but there's um, less and less places in New England uh, to put you know wastewater treatment you're, you're cleaning the water enough to put back in the environment and then you end up with solids and a lot of the municipal solids um, have been going into landfills and now the landfill capacity is really full so then the other idea that everyone always has is um, to try and uh, get the solids into such a state that they can be applied to land um, just put back out there you know it is good fertilizer a lot of times especially if it's got you know human uh, waste in it but um, it's also all kinds of other stuff ends up in, in wastewater streams so it's a very controversial topic the land application of, of wastewater solids and um, what uh, Irving Paper is facing is um, you know if they if they want to get their sludge out of this plant in a, in a state that it can be approved for land application um, they've got to dry it out a lot more so long story um, leads it up to the point where they're, they're trying to get these um, sludge drying machines which they say might actually only cost like five million dollars um, but the borrowing for it for some arcane reasons Irving voters basically approved up to 18 million dollars for it it seems like the $17.9 million is based on a Teagan bond, um, which is a engineering company. They made an estimate of the possible costs. But my understanding is that it, the drying, the sludge drying machines would only cost $5 million and they're getting two of them? Yeah, and think that they can cover one themselves. And uh, this is ultimately something that kind of comes down to, you know, well, what are the prospects for if we keep hearing that this plant is going to, this mill is going to close, um, you know, is the town going to end up on the hook for it? And mm -hmm. that, that kind of sounds like it was everyone's um, concern yeah. at the meeting, but it ended up being approved unanimously. So uh, Irving voters who came out to that town meeting last week, I, I apparently got enough reassurance to give the okay um, to uh, underwriting that borrowing. It does seem like the Irving paper mill or Irving Industries, as the company is called, has a really great relationship with town officials. There was one, there were a couple quotes that stood out to me. Let me just find them. Well, Dan Hammock said something uh, that Katie quoted. Um, oh, yeah. A very sweeping statement. It's not a handshake. This is documented six ways to Sunday. We need Irving Paper Mill and they need us. It's been a great relationship. Um, and that was the finance committee member, Daniel Hammock. Uh, most people don't want to see uh, another paper mill close. Yeah. Um, that's that's for sure. And uh, it, it did, it was funny to read that um, because, you know, Irving, it is one of the, it's the largest employer, I would imagine, in Irving and, um, you know, has a, a real deep history in the town and is also, 
the last connection to the industrial era mm -hmm. in that town. Uh, but, you know, uh, upwards of 80% of Irving's tax base is actually paid for by the Northfield Mountain Project, because that land, the pump storage facility, um, is, is mostly in Irving and is, you know, taxed at, at maximum rate. So mm -hmm. I think that Irving might have a bigger problem if, um, if you know, the... Northfield Mountain doesn't get relicensed by the feds. Tell me more about that. Well, um, they're bundled together, but also then, I should say, split um, into different entities. But First Light Power Resources, which owns all the hydro stuff around here, uh, the, the licenses for Northfield Mountain um, and for you know Cabot Station and Turner's Falls, which means ultimately the Turner's Falls Dam and Canal, uh, those are about seven years now into a five-year relicensing process. And, you know, that's been happening the entire time I've been the editor of the Montague Reporter. It's just been this very large story lurking in the background. And uh, Okay, yeah. Okay, so it's an ongoing process, and we don't know if they're going to get relicensed yet. Right, and it's been extended a couple times just to, to deal with the, the process. How long would the license be for, like, 10 years, 30 years? What, what's the oh, no, they give uh, 30 to 50-year licenses. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, people would be expecting a 40-year or a 50-year license okay. for that. I should say, I, I, I think a lot of people would be extremely surprised if uh, they their license was just not renewed. Um, mm -hmm. But my point just being um, that uh, the value of that land also... Is, is indirectly based on um, how much energy they're able to produce there. So, uh, you know, that license could also, I think, affect the town of Irving's tax base. In addition to a lot of high-profile national political contests, there's a local political contest that the Montague Reporter has been covering, and that is in the second Franklin state legislative district between incumbent Susanna Whips, who's an independent, and Will LaRose, who is a Democrat. Um, and Jeff Singleton wrote an article in this week's paper about a virtual forum that was held on Zoom. So what did the candidates talk about? Well, uh, this was something that was hosted by the Friends of the New Salem Library and uh, broadcast on, on Athol Orange TV. These are towns that are outside of what we're normally covering, but um, mm -hmm. the, the um, Second Franklin District um, for the state legislature, this is representatives um, running for the state house, mm -hmm. uh, includes Gill and Irving and Wendell. So, you know, we have a lot of readers. Um, I, I would, you know, um, before directly answering your question, um, really encourage anyone in those towns uh, who's curious and trying to figure out who to vote for. Um, there's an independent incumbent and a democratic challenger in this race. Um, uh, to, to go online and to go onto uh, the Athol Orange Television website and just watch this forum for themselves because you'll get, um, you know, a more, more well-rounded sense of, um, of, of kind of where they both are. Um, Largely because, uh, as Jeff's article kind of um, drives this point home, um, there there wasn't a huge disagreement um, from them on, on any policy points. No disagreements on policy points. N not anything, uh, anything major. No, I mean, 
everyone agrees, you know, um, it would be great if uh, how a lot of state aid comes down to municipalities is formulated um, so that it would uh, help rural communities such as ours, uh, whether that's uh, looking at infrastructural things um, and, and roads and things like that, or school districts. So, you know, I, I think uh, a lot of the difference was just, do you want to have a longer term representative, um, you know, send someone in and, and once they learn the ropes, you know, keep, keep uh, having them accumulate experience? Um, or uh, is this a time in that district um, that they want someone else to give it a shot? Mm -hmm. How do you think voters will make their decision when they are voting? in November on the, in this contest? You know, I have no idea on this one. It, it's really interesting. It's not, um, I don't live in the 2nd Franklin district, so I don't have necessarily my ear to the ground. And it's not like these candidates are having public rallies this year because of COVID. So it's really hard to get a temperature check from the Montague Reporter office of, right. of where that race actually is. And I don't, uh, I haven't heard of anyone doing any polling. Susanna Whips, um, who initially ran as a Republican in 2014 and then switched to being unenrolled in 2017. People people do uh, like her in the area. She cer certainly seems to be a lot more, I would say, liberal than uh, typical Republicans in the U.S. are right now. So it's not a huge surprise to them that she went independent. Mm -hmm. um, she might be like a more traditional dying breed kind of uh, Massachusetts Republican. Um, but mm -hmm. at that point, you know, at this point it's individual. Uh, they both grew up in Athol. Um, LaRose, Will LaRose, um, who's the challenger, um, touts his, his uh, military service. Um, also, you know, uh, recently um, went to Cornell and has been... Um, Looks like making a lot of decisions that track someone for public office. <laughs> if I, you know, really had to had to say, it's uh, I think that if he doesn't win this race, um, I wouldn't be surprised uh, to see him trying to seek another office after. Will the Montague reporter be making an endorsement in this race? Absolutely not. We could make endorsements because we're a five hundred one c four organization. Um, if we were a C3, we wouldn't be able to. Um, so we can if we wanted um, without it being wrong or illegal. But, uh, you know, trying to generally um, maintain a, a, a platform that, you know, a, as wide a, a section of the communities that we serve as possible um, feels um, is part of their community. And it would really be doing, I think, uh, doing us a disservice to, to start endorsing candidates and this or that, um, you know, race for office. Mm -hmm. And that's been my position. And you just alluded to the nonprofit status of the newspaper. And I just wanted to mention that most newspapers, you know, like the recorder in Greenfield don't have those kind of restrictions because they're um, for-profit companies. So the Montague Reporter is a little unique in that it's nonprofit. Right. I, I wanted to make that clarification because um, yeah. I've, I've heard people guess that it's because we're a nonprofit that we can't and that, that that's not why. I think it just, you know, makes more sense to to really look at the best side of, of all candidates. I mean, I think that if there were an extreme case where someone were running for local office who um, the 
majority of people around the paper uh, felt was was some kind of actual danger to our communities, then we might have a different conversation. But mm-hmm. uh, it hasn't come up since I've gotten involved. So. Let's talk briefly about election coverage. Well, we already have, but voting is already happening. Or, well, vote by mail is already happening, I should say. I just received my ballot in the mail today, and there's an article in this week's paper about the town clerk of Montague, Deb Borbo, sending out mail ballots. Um, 2,100 were requested in Montague. We've got about 8,500 people in Montague, um, fewer than that, obviously, registered voters, um, because cats and children can't vote. And then last presidential election, just um, for reference, about 4,500 votes were, were cast in that 2016 election. So 2,100 um, early ballot requests so far. Um, looks like a, a huge um, participation in, in kind of mail-in voting. Yes. That is or, huge. Which people can also hand deliver. And then there's also going to be early voting at the at the senior center for two weeks. Let's see. Early voting will take place on October 12th through the 22nd and October 24th through the 29th, primarily in the morning hours, but times vary. So check the town website or call the town hall for more information. Yep. 17th through the 29th. And we also, in this paper, right next to that, have a, a really nice map of, uh, if you're in Montague, uh, where you go to vote based on different precincts. It can be confusing. Um, we've got Montague as a whole is split up into six precincts, and uh, they've changed the polling locations a couple times, mm-hmm. n- most recently due to the pandemic. At this point, four of those precincts are voting at um, Franklin County Tech, in the gym, precincts two, three, four, and six. Down in Montague Center, they're still voting at the fire station. And in downtown Turner's, we've got the senior center back as our polling station. Um, so we've got a really awesome map. Um, a volunteer cartographer, uh, Travis Drury, drew up for us. I'm probably going to print it again before this election happens because it's a good one to, to just cut out and put on your fridge. Yeah, the Montague Reporter has maps now. Uh, Subscribe. (laughs) Donate. I know you had a non sequitur. Yeah, they had to put the storm on a Wednesday. I know. I I was reading the article. I was like, oh, poor Mike. Like, you interviewed John Zellman at 9 p.m. And then you talked to an emergency dispatcher at 4 a.m. So, yeah, kudos for pulling that together. It was fun, you know that that kind of thing. Doing a weekly paper, um, you know, don't we don't often get that uh, like scene from the movies where it's like, stop the presses, tear down the front page, you got a story. But it's it's you know, I enjoy uh, working on deadline. Um, it was pretty scary uh, that that storm that came through. If you're listening to this in the distant future. Um, on Wednesday, we had a, a bow echo kind of come through from, from west to east, as they occasionally do, and um, Greenfield and Deerfield um, and Montague got clomped. Um, the whole state got hit pretty hard, actually. Yeah. Uh, but locally, um, and Lake Pleasant um, had the had the most intense, you know, essentially a microburst um, at Lake Pleasant. Yeah, it's pretty heartbreaking to see pictures of the Bridge of Names, Um basically brought down by a, a huge tree or maybe multiple trees. Um, you know, I used to live in Lake Pleasant. I lived there for two years and the bridge is the center of the community. So I really, really want to see that rebuilt. 
Well, there may be good news in next week's paper. Uh, we'll, we'll see. I was talking to someone today from the Lake Pleasant Village Association, and uh, you know that um, that photo on our front page, um, you know, highlights the the carnage uh, on the west end of the bridge. But um, a lot of that bridge is still standing, actually. Okay. Uh-huh. So it, it'll uh, take some work and some resources, but um, it's not a total rebuild. Good. That makes me feel better. Um, and I will, yeah, we'll talk about this again, I'm sure. The storm happened a little bit before 5 p.m. Wednesday, and I was just finishing up the paper at 6 a.m. for an 8 a.m. deadline of getting it uh, uploaded over the internet to our printers. Um, and uh, when the internet went out. So <laughs> Thursday morning was a, a real scramble. Um, I thought I was going to have to uh, drive down to Springfield um, with the, the pages on, a, on an external hard drive and basically was completely ready to do it, key in hand and stuff like that, and mm -hmm. uh, worked out a solution, um, got in touch with someone who's also working remotely from there, and we were able to to find a way to relay it, but it got really exciting, 6, 7 a.m. On, on Thursday, and the paper still got out to everyone uh, early wow. Thursday afternoon. Well, kudos, Mike. That's, it's always something, right? About a third of the town lost power, and that started about a block away from the Montague Reporter office. Mm -hmm. So we did really luck out. I mean, that would have been a whole different story if a the whole town lost power and uh, b that's happening during a pandemic so i can't just you know call someone up a half hour away and can i sit in your living room and, and do this week's paper uh mm -hmm. would have been a real conundrum but it makes you think about the way emergencies can kind of stack on top of each other thanks to all of our listeners um thanks to you definitely sarah um we checked our stats and uh, our listener base has doubled in the last couple of months Yay! Um, so keep keep spreading the word about this podcast. Uh, maybe we'll start having people on for for interviews. So if you have ideas of uh, local folks who should bring on the podcast and interview, um, let us know. Yes. Podcast at montaguereporter.org goes to Sarah. Mhm. Thanks to Blue Dot Sessions for doing our music. Um, and as always, thank you to Greenfield Community Television for technical support. Call us at 413-863-8666 if you're a phone user. And you should subscribe to the Montague Reporter newspaper or buy it at a local business. You can still find our PDFs online for free. We haven't set up an effective uh, firewall to stop people from doing that, but we will one day. But if you are reading the paper and not a subscriber, please consider, uh, you know, that's fine, but consider finding a way to support us, volunteer, send a donation. Um, you can do an online-only subscription and kind of pick a price. So. Thank you to Biz Maniac for your recent review. You really made my day. Rate and review us, spread the word, send links to our episodes around. Um, not a lot of hyperlocal podcasts where we live, so um, let people know. Yep. And if you are a podcaster and you're listening, reach out, because I'd love to um, learn more about you. Yeah, we can have a podcast war. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much, Mike. This was fun. Thanks, Sarah.